it's not only about the company. You know, it also has, everyone has to have fun doing it. Everyone has to like doing it. You should also not forget about the family and everything else around you. Welcome to the Swisspreneur Show, a podcast about startup stories and learnings from experienced entrepreneurs. Here's your host, Sylvan. I welcome here Igor Susmeli. Thank you very much for joining us today, Igor. Hi, Sylvan. Thanks for having me. You're the co-founder of Lightly.ai, an ETH and Husky spin-off that actually solves AI by solving data. We're going to talk more about that and what that exactly means. But first, I want to hear everything about your childhood, basically, because for you, it was always clear. I'm super interested into computers. I'm going to study at ETH and also want to have a job in that field. Was there any doubt about that or was that always very clear which path you would actually pursue? I would say it was not clear at all. Um, maybe you don't know, but I, I grew up on a writing stable. So actually, I, I was kind of a farm boy and was far away from tech. Um, during my childhood, I often had to help out in the stable instead of uh, sleeping long, long during the weekend or playing computer games or having fun, actually. <laughs> I was working a lot. And uh, I, was, I had to fight for my first computer. Like I was okay. the only one in the family um, very interested in technology. And then how did you still, I mean, that was probably a tough call, right? You know, going into the family business, probably with a stable business, while still uh, being interested in computers. So how do you actually make that transition or that call to then end up in the, the computer business? So initially, it was more like helping out my family as well. So I, I helped them out with the website and some, okay. some other simpler things for me doing on the computer. And they realized, okay, the, the boy is quite good at doing that. And, uh, but, but back then, People like didn't see a future in that. I remember my grandfather even telling me, "Hey, you should you should become a, a doctor, study medicine. You shouldn't do stuff with the computers. Uh, those those guys right. usually just help me out in the in the lab." So <laughs> so I had to I had again kind of to to convince everyone in the family that no, I, I really like this. I'm passionate about this, and I mm -hmm. want to go um, further in that in that field. So how did you then find your way to the ETH in Zurich to make that dream a reality to a certain degree? It's, it started in in uh, end of primary school when I really got the computer I, mm -hmm. <laughs> after a long long fight, and um, friends of my family they they were doing more than just web design, also um, programming software, and they they just gave me books and I started programming myself, teaching myself how it works, and then in in high school more and more went into that field, and then at one point it was clear for me, hey, uh, I want to study some something in that area. And I decided not to do computer science, but electrical engineering, because I'm also very fascinated about hardware. Makes sense. And during your time at ETH, during your research, basically, you actually also came up with a problem or you found a problem that then led to your startup business idea. Uh, for Lightly.ai uh, initially, but back then it was still called what to label So what was the problem that you faced and how did you actually come up with the solution for that problem? I have to correct you here. So the initial company was called Mirage. <laughs> True, yeah, that's and, the legal uh, So the, the thing was, um, in my bachelor's, I was more doing robotics, you know, like hardware stuff. I was really fascinated about it. And then I haven't heard about machine learning back then. And 
it was it was at the end of my bachelor's when I when I went to one of those hackathons like e events. I was hosted by six and friends of mine were doing some machine learning stuff there, and I was like, okay, wow, super interesting. What's that? I want to learn more about it. And kind of the idea that you teach a machine instead of coding it, coding it something uh, into it was just fascinating to me. And then I decided in my master's to go more into that field. And then in my master's, I focused on machine learning and computer vision. Um, was was working with something called um, unsupervised learning or generative adversarial networks. So those were deep learning models where you can hallucinate faces. You you feed it lots of images and then you can generate fake faces. And basically, based on on, on that research, we thought, hey, let's take this technology and and bring it more into industry on two sides. Uh, one on one hand, uh, we could help movie movie editors to be more creative with it, and the other one was actually the business idea we started initially to detect manipulations in videos, like to detect fake media. Yeah. And fun fact, two years ago, right here at Start Summit, that's actually where I also met you for the first time. So that's just a fun coincidence to see where the, you know, the encounters that you have at such a conference can, can lead up to. So tell us a bit more about what Lightly.ai actually does today. I mean, there, you know, you had different names and there were also some stories that we'll talk about later in a bit. But what does Lightly.ai do today? What's your focus? Um, maybe I, let me start with a question. Uh, do you have a driving license? Of course. Yeah. Okay. Uh, do you remember how many hours it took you to learn how to drive? No clue. Probably too many. <laughs> Let, let's say on average, I would say maybe someone in Switzerland takes 20 to 30 hours with an expert. And if you think about it, it's, it's having driving lessons with someone who teaches you how to drive, like mm -hmm. a real expert. And what we do in machine learning at the moment is we teach self-driving cars to do the same but we invest thousands of hours and this is not very efficient. And what we do as lightly is we try to make it more efficient, more natural, more like a human. You already, as a kid, you walk through the streets, you see cars moving around, you, you learn that something is, is an object and you, you can use this know-how you gather over time to, to then more efficiently learn how to drive. And we want to do the same for, for AI essentially, make it more self-learning. Are there any use cases that you can share with us? Yes, we, we work with companies doing autonomous driving or video okay. analytics. And the problem for them is that the systems currently are very data hungry. Mm -hmm. And it's not only that you need lots of data, but also annotations. So you kind of have a driving expert sitting next to you all the time telling you, like, this is a car, this is a pedestrian. And I mean, it's, it, doing this for thousands of hours is just not efficient. Right. And there has been a huge industry doing just labeling. And we think like that's not the right approach there's a more efficient way of doing that. Exactly. And yes. I really love that you have this very specific niche and the very specifically targeted problem that you're solving. I think that's a very good focus to have here. But today we're not here to actually talk about technology. We're here to talk about fuck-ups. And the fuck-up that you actually chose is the what-to-label fuck-up, the sort of name and whole team behind the idea and, and business, actually, before you then uh, pivoted to, to Lightly.ai. Yes. <laughs> so you are four people with different opinions, as you told me. Take us back to the early days. How did you four people decide to start a company and to actually work together on, on any mm -hmm. specific issue? And what was the issue before Lightly.ai? Yes. So let, let me start at the, I have to go a bit back in time. Sure. 
Um, the startup was called Mirage. It was what we, what we started out of uh, the, the ETH, kind of the spin-off we started out of the research. And back then, we, we tried out different ideas. And at one point, we, we ended up having this great idea where we thought, hey, uh, we could involve other friends as well to join the team, work on this uh, framework for making machine learning more, more easy to use. That was mm -hmm. the goal back then. And uh, the problem there was a bit that we had wrong expectations, especially I, I mismanaged a lot of stuff as well in the team um, because the setup was a bit weird, right? We had two, two of us already started the company and the others would kind of join. And, right. and then we already had a stake in it. We already invested some, something in it. And it wasn't clear, like, is this now a fun project or is it something real? And th there was really like some, some bad expectation management. And what was your original motivation to actually start the company? I think you were, of course, focused on the technology and solving your own problem, but there was also more to it, right? You, you really wanted to make it. You wanted to build a successful company. Yes, I think back, back at this, that time, I'm, I'm, maybe st still I am a bit very, very focused, right? Really, I want to do something, like mm -hmm. really get it work. And back then I was kind of in a, let's say, delirium state where I kind of forgot about friendship and uh, that that it's not only about the company, you know, it also has, everyone has to have fun doing it. Everyone has to like doing it. You should also not forget about the family and everything else around you. And back then I was really just, just narrow-minded, focused on, on the success of the company. And as I said, like it destroys a lot of uh, other stuff. Right. And, and what does actually success of the company mean in that regard? Did you want it to build a company, then sell it for multiple millions? Did you want it to have a high revenue number with your company? What was like, how would you define success back in these days as a company? For, for me, uh, back then, success was more also about external perception, like how others see it as being it successful or not. I, I'm never really uh, money-driven or revenue-driven. I feel like if you, if you build something with a big impact, the money will as well come. So you shouldn't optimize right. for the money, but solving a real problem. And back then, the problem was really, I, I was too much influenced by externals. Like an example is you, you have a chat with an investor and you, you respect the investor and he mm -hmm. tells you, no, I don't believe in this idea. I would immediately switch the idea just because the investor told me. And I think that's something you should not do. <laughs> yeah, I think that's a very, very good point. What do you say in that regard? Although it's not monetarily motivation that you were greedy to a certain degree, maybe greedy for attention or greedy for positive feedback. Yes, I was for sure greedy and also selfish, like ignoring the, the, the input or, or feelings of others. As I said, like the four of us, we were very good friends back then, mm -hmm. uh, still are today, luckily. Like I, I, we kind of all managed to, to get along with each other well and, and we, we went out and everything after the, the whole situation. But uh, back then I was very selfish as well. And you said this also had a price. So you basically neglected the personal relationship, family. Can you talk a bit more about that, about the price that you paid there and what effect and impact that had on your life? Yes. So, so basically towards the end of this journey, we, we had as the, as the team of four, um, someone very close to me died or, or was um, dying and afterwards died. And I wasn't taking a lot of time also spending with this person. Mm -hmm. And I regret this also right now because... I think you, you shouldn't be that selfish, just focusing on, on the one thing like the company and shouldn't forget, you should not forget about family and, and others. Do you think that in that regard, you can also try too hard to make it as a company? 
Yes, I mean that's that's I guess what happens <laughs> <laughs> and what what we what we fucked up essentially with. Before we continue with the show, we would like to introduce you to our new partner, Nuco. Nuco helps founders navigate the paperwork that starting a company involves. From the first consultation all the way to the commercial register, Nuco has helped more than 900 entrepreneurs start their company, and they do so at highly competitive prices. To find out more, visit nuco.ch slash Swisspreneur. Again, that's nuco.ch slash Swisspreneur. And now, on with the show. And how would you actually solve that? Like, how do you make sure that, you know, you're super motivated in the beginning? You know, you have this big problem, this big vision and drive. You want to build a successful company. How do you not overdo it and then neglect all the other important parts in life? Is there any tip that you can give people now going through that experience yourself that after reflecting on it, you say, this and this is something that I should or would have been uh, done differently? I think with family, what you can do, what I do right now is I try to call them like every second day for at least like 10 minutes to stay in touch. You need to take the time, right? Some 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 others might prefer to block the calendar essentially to do that. Uh, I hope I would never have to go there. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I mean, I mean, you really have to to take the time for that. And also friends, that's also something important, especially now with the, the COVID time, you might not see friends, you might be I mean, I saw it myself and also all my friends um, running startups. You just work much more. You, mm -hmm. you, you neglect everything else. You're basically in your silo working um, in, your, in your room or wherever you are. And uh, I think that's not very good. In that regard, you were still solving your own problem, basically. Usually that's a recipe for success because then you have a huge motivation to actually also pull through the difficult times that will always come whenever you found a startup. Did that actually help you or was it something that actually hindered you because you then only wanted to spend time on, on the actual startup? No, no I think it, it helped us really okay. back at that time. The, the problem in the end was that we, we started having discussions at a very late stage. We should have had the discussions already much earlier, like how is the involvement of everyone in the team? Yeah. And those kind of discussions, if they're too late, it's really, really ugly. It's not nice because they're, there's, it's super hard to make everyone happy. And uh, especially if you're selfish <laughs> right. and uh, you, you mismanage the expectations. And I think that's something I really regret um, that uh, we, we kind of fucked up that. And uh, in the end, like the, the story went on, right? We were the four of us. Uh, we thought, hey, we can really make this happen. The team was almost falling apart. At the same time, we were still invited to, to um, pitch for a very, very good accelerator in the U.S., and called Y Combinator, by called the way. Called Y Combinator, <laughs> yes, yes. So actually, the, the, they flew us in. It was the actually I had three interviews with YC so far, so I'm I'm still counting. Maybe there will be a fourth one. I was always hoping that the third one would be the one we get in. But I heard there that the odds get get better. Yes, yes, they say that. Try, they so. say that. So you just continue trying. Exactly. <laughs> no, but the, the the problem there was basically we got interview, interviewed by YC and the team was kind of broken, right? And and then. The, the remaining uh, founders in the team, it's just weird, you know, it's just really weird. And then you start discussions like, what if we get in? Like, what do we actually do? Is just someone doing it? Is nobody yeah. doing it? Do we do, do we do something differently? Yeah. It's, it's really weird because you also still want to respect the decision of others. Sure. Do you continue the work where, where you kind of fucked up with the team? And I, I personally just, in the, in the end, 
we luckily didn't get in. I think that would have been a, another fun story. Yeah. But uh, I, I decided I just stopped working on the whole project at all because it, there was too much involved, too, much in, too many emotions as well. Yeah. We're going to talk about the split in a, in a minute. Mm-hmm. But before we do so, do you think that YC smelled something, that something was off with your team or you know, then that they eventually declined you? I, I could say that now, that that's the reason they rejected <laughs> us. <laughs> but, but I would say no. It's, okay. uh, I mean, the fun thing was uh, the interviews usually are like, like uh, at an event like this. You, you, you wait outside of the interview room yeah. and you see all those other startups. And when we were waiting for our, for our slot, the slot is only 10 minutes, right? Uh, we, we just met like two other startups doing something very similar okay. and they were already much far, much further in the process. And, and it was like, it was the one day where they had ML startups trying to do uh, ML platforms for a certain uh, area. Mm-hmm. And uh, I mean, they just take the best ones they find there. Yeah, makes sense. I mean, it's their job, right? To make the it's right selection. <laughs> Maybe also to, to quickly reflect, you said you didn't clearly communicate and set the expectations. And then you're actually dealing with a defective team, a team that didn't really work out anymore. But how do you actually get there in the first place? Because, you know, if everybody of you would just be so motivated and put the company first, neglecting their personal life, which is not good at all. But still, if you would think everybody goes full speed, then how do you still end up in a broken team? What what brought you there, basically? I think it was a mixture between the expectations and also the how well do you actually work as a team? Is there some friction? Is there something uh, which really is in the way? Um, it could be between two or three people in the team. And I mean, the goal was to do something all, all the four of us. Mm-hmm. And uh, if, if one element, um, does, if something is not, bro- not working between two or three, then the, the whole team is affected. Right. And basically it, it mo- demotivated all of us a bit. Okay. And how do you actually realize that, you know, it didn't it just feel right or productive anymore? Or how was the feeling when you actually realized this is not going to work out? It was really bad <laughs> because we, we had some, I think that that's something we did very well. Uh, we had very clear discussions about that mm-hmm. um, where we discussed this as a team. And it was clear after those discussions, like, okay, we really have a problem, all of us. Yeah. And I was like in my uh, very narrow-minded view, just continuing to work, kind of ignoring the problem, yeah. which was a big mistake. Yeah, got it. There, it's really an alarming signal. You need to take a step back and actually address that issue. Yes, yes. And then you said you reached a conclusion to leave. How yes. do you execute that? I mean, leave, leave is, is a... Is a Difficult thing, right? We still right. had the company. Yeah. I was still bought in. And my money was kind of frozen, but I didn't want to have to do anything with it. Okay. So, so I decided, hey, let's just take a break. I had still this family situation I wanted to take, take care of. Yeah. And uh, we went back to, back to Switzerland. And then another problem which started arising was the money problem. Because sure. I obviously worked for more than a year without a salary. And I mean, I put all my money in the company. <laughs> Something you maybe shouldn't do. Situation, yeah. <laughs> but uh, so I had to ask around in in my friend circle, like, hey, can I can I do something? Can I can I help you out? Get some pocket money? And uh, then I I found a very good friend of mine who who took me kind of helped me uh, by by helping him flipping cars. <laughs> I think that's just an insane story for itself. I mean. From electrical engineer to startup founder to flipping cars, that's yes, quite a journey. Yes. Actually, my, my friend is still doing flipping. Uh, he's still doing it right. and he's doing it very well. Yep. Um, very fair price as well, I have to say. Mm-hmm. 
And uh, I started initially helping him with the website. And then in the end, we, we, we kind of did, did more and more together. I went on, on the rides with him to, to get the cars, uh, pick them up, drive them home to the, to the base. And uh, the, the thing is just, it really helped me as well, getting, getting over, over the, the one, one or two months. Yeah. And uh, he actually also has a degree from ETH. So I would say we were the only two with a degree from ETH <laughs> flipping cars in Switzerland. <laughs> That's a pretty good branding for yourself, I would say. Yes, yes, it was a lot of fun. So then the company still existed. And for you, you know, taking a break, were there any legal obligations that, that came with that? Or how do you actually manage the, the legal part? So, so one of the, the fuck-ups we had then was that not everyone in the team was sure that the project was done. Okay. And of course, then, then also like people ask like, hey, we started something together and, and I think you still continue working on it. So I want to have my stake. I want to I wanna get something back. Right. And uh, this was then the, the next situation, like resolving that, like making clear, hey, uh, nobody's going to continue working on it. Because obviously like uh, people felt like so, somebody can feel cheated um, by very, very quickly. Sure. And you, you want to resolve that. And you also still had some IP in there. I mean, whatever you built together, right? So yes. how did you then solve that? You had the four people that were part of the company in total. The company yes. still existed. You took a break, but then eventually the same company was later used for Lightly.ai. Yes. So how do you turn that around and use it to your advantage? We did probably the smartest thing you can do because we all believed in the tech and mm -hmm. we, we liked it. So, so we said we do it open source. So we just put it open yeah. source very clearly, like everyone has access uh, we even agreed that somebody could continue working on it. For me, it was clear, hey, I would, I would do lightly now. Right. And back then it was what to label, right? Um, the, the, so, so the initial name or the brand at least we used. Mm -hmm. And um, it, it was kind of solved then, yes. But we had to really yeah. actively do this. I so think it was like kind of, kind of a last procedure, last act as a, as a team. Right. So you solved the IP part, the tech part, basically. How do you solve the company part? Because you and your new co-founder, Matt, that you eventually met later on to work on Lightly, you still use the same company that you eventually uh, founded together uh, back in the day. So how do you solve the legal part from the company perspective? Yes. So, so what we did essentially is during the time I was flipping cars, I already started working on, on the new product. Mm -hmm. And uh, I, I knew Matt already for, for a while and then so so we just uh, were in touch and I told him about the project and he said hey that sounds really cool uh, let, let me try to to sell it a bit uh, ask some companies whether they're interested yeah. and then while I was not flipping the cars actively like I mean if, if nobody wants to sell you're, you're just waiting sitting right. around I was coding on the product and had some calls then we, we set up with different uh, companies in, in the in the space and uh, we just tried to get somebody who would be interested in actually starting a project. And yeah. once we reached that point, we said, okay, we really need the company now. And it, it was very handy to just uh, buy out the, the other co-founder. Okay. And for him, it was like perfect, right? Because yeah, right. in Switzerland, you have liquidation costs. Yes. So, so just uh, selling the, the shares, it's much, much easier. It's a, a more lucrative uh, yes. way of yes. dissolving or getting out of because a company. Because Switzerland is super, super expensive. Right. So the two learnings that you talked about are actually super impressive. You know, first of all, don't neglect your personal life and your family life. The other one is set clear expectations with your co-founders as early as possible. The third one that you actually did, we haven't talked about that yet, Buzz, is you just didn't give up. And I think that is very impressive because for you, there was like no obstacle too big to handle. <laughs> you were even flipping cars to get some money in and then just continue. What kept you going? How do you keep going 
with all these challenges and difficulties arising? I just really like to build things. I just really yeah. like to solve problems. And I just thought hey, I, I could get a job. I really, there, there were two times where, where I really wanted to stop. I was okay. so close. Uh, once was the option to start a PhD. Yeah. And I, I just said, ah, another four years. And then I would anyway <laughs> do the same again. Right. And uh, the other o option would be to join another startup. And, and I really said like, no, no, let's just do it. Let's just do it. Because you had equi-hire offers on the table where they just yes. would bought buy your company to then say, hey, you come work for us, we buy your company, you have a good story, some money coming in, you still resist it. Yes, so the acquire offer, the problem was there that uh, actually two offers from the US were, were smaller startups as well, like Series A, Seed, seed Stage. And uh, in the US, it's very fast. They, they just acquire a team of two. Like right. who in Switzerland would do that? Nobody. Yeah. And uh, one of them wanted us to move over. They just basically asked, like, how much would we need to pay you to move over the next month? Yeah. And I still had the family situation, so for me, it was a no-go. Yeah. And uh, the other company uh, actually was um, a company of friends of mine. I was very close to consider joining them, but then just already started with the, the other project. Yeah. And Got I just it. said, hey, I, I also needed to prove myself somehow, like, I, I can do it. Makes sense. So now we're going to open up. Uh, to question round and also ask you some questions from the audience. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure if it's going to show up here on the screen or if I read it on my iPad. So I'm just going to select a few. Let me quickly refresh here. So I'm just going to hear with the first one from Monica. She asks, how do you make sure you're not burning yourself out? How do you take care of yourself? I think that's a very, a very, very well-fitting question for you. Yes. Uh, I would say I was a couple of times very close to a burnout. I, I realized it mostly through my environment. Uh, people, people talk to you, your friends, hey, uh, you don't look very healthy and you should just really take this feedback seriously. I think mm -hmm. that's really important. And the other thing is I, I always try to do sport. Not as yeah. much as you do apparently during <laughs> COVID, <laughs> but I try to do sports. In that regard, maybe I also saw a question earlier. Mm -hmm. How did your work hours and also sleep hours, I assume, look like these days? Yes, I, I actually force myself or I try, uh, my, my girl has some other opinion about that, but I try to sleep a lot. Like I try to sleep eight to nine hours a day. I, I realize like productivity goes down. Right. And uh, especially if you do some coding stuff, if you're not healthy and in your head, it's, it's not going to be any, anything meaningful. Yep. Um, so I try, I try to do the more brain stuff in the morning, in the afternoon, and then in the evening, other stuff. Yep. Nice. One very last question for you. Mm -hmm. um, I just fi find it very interesting. Can you give us any tips on how to attract more women to join a startup? I think that's a very important question these days. Any tips from your side as a startup founder yourself? I think that's, a, that's actually a really, really hard question. Um, I think we, we do a lot already with events um, to, to attract more. Like there are lots of uh, institutions, events um, to, to get them more interested. But I feel what we really need is more a community. You know, like one, two female founders who talk to other female founders and inspire them more and more, uh, some, some sort of more group group feeling. Because, because I think right now it's more isolated. There are a few initiatives like groups. Uh, maybe there could also be a Swisspreneur group for, for more female founders. Sure. Luckily, we have a few of them in our community, <laughs> yes, but uh, not its own chapter yet. Igor, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us today. It was a pleasure having you here. And despite the fuck-ups and all the stories, the roller coaster ride, all the best, lots of success uh, for the future of Lightly.ai. And we're just super excited and curious to see what's going on and what's coming from you. 
Thank, thank you so much. Thank you very much, Sylvan, for having me. This episode was brought to you by Swisspreneur's main partner, Clara Business, the digital all-in-one solution for small businesses. Managing internal processes manually and on paper wastes an incredible amount of time. That's why Clara digitizes everything, allowing you to focus on what really matters, your core business. Go to clara.ch to find out how your business administration can be simpler, faster, and more efficient. Again, that's clara.ch.